All right, welcome back to Black on the Air. This is Larry Wilmore um, from my office at home. <laughs> so I always say, uh, if it doesn't sound too good, it's like I'm in a dungeon here. Shelter and in place, everybody. Hope everybody's doing well out there. But you know, we're not not everybody sheltering in place anymore. They're starting to lift some of the restrictions, which is, you know, it's a bit controversial in some places, but uh, some places I guess it's doing okay. I hope everybody out there is being safe and all those things. You, I talked about this a little bit last week. I'm of this is one of those situations where, you know, man, it's so fucked up. We we have to be so. I'll tell you what it is. Here's what I'm feeling. It's so unprecedented right now. Oh, and by the way, before I get going, <laughs> my brain is so scattered. Um, talented actress Uzo Aduba uh, is on the show from um, the new show on Hulu called Mrs. America. She plays Shirley Chisholm on it, and she's really good. Excellent. And, of course, you guys know her as Crazy Eyes from Orange is the New Black. Uzo Aduba. And we had a really good conversation uh, recently, and can't wait for you to hear it really has a lot of cool things to say. It really is a good show if you guys haven't had a chance to see it. But, so, I'm saying we're in an interesting situation right now where both things are true. We have to be very, very diligent, very, very safe out there. This virus is no joke. It's like nothing that's ever come down the pike, man. It is, it's so devious because it hides out for so long and the way that it it attacks the body. I was looking at a... Uh, American Experience documentary about the Spanish flu. This was done like in 1998, this documentary. And it was, man, there were so many similarities. Although the Spanish flu seemed to really get a lot more young people, I think, where this kind of targets older people, kind of interesting. But they did an autopsy on someone who died from back there. And they like opened up the chest and the lungs are just full of this blue fluid. They said it was just terrible. But, uh, Basically, people were just drowning, you know, in pneumonia. And the way that COVID attacks the body, it's scary, man. It's just scary where you see these images of people who were fine and then they're just gone. That shit just isn't right. So it's very scary out there. It's no joke. We know it affects black and minority communities at a much higher rate in this country than other communities. So everybody out there, be as safe as you can. Now, what the conflict now is different states, different counties, different cities are all rolling out the reopening of the society at, at a different pace, different ways. And um, I'm hoping that as important as this is, because people have to work, you know, there are so many people who don't have the ability to be out of work for very long. I mean, they have to feed their families. They have to feed themselves, you know, the, they have to they have to have a means by which to survive the you know some of them aren't getting government money you know and that money's not going to last very long and by the way that's completely unsustainable government can only do that for so long and uh you know the things just have to get started but we just have to be safe about it you know and when i see these people protesting like with no mask and they're just making it so just one-sided about it you know it's so ridiculous and at the same time we shouldn't act like that issue isn't important. <laughs> you know, it's so weird just being caught in this vortex of having to do both of these things at once. You know, Trump continues to defy all logic in terms of 
why he insists on being just the worst leader possible in this situation. Um, he followed Mike Pence's lead and uh, was at the Honeywell plant where they actually make masks, and he refused to wear a mask. He was at a veterans event the other day, refusing to wear a mask. You know, that's our most vulnerable population. Then they asked him about it. He said, you didn't ask about me. I could get sick. What about me? It's like, motherfucker, do you always have to think of yourself, for Christ's sakes? I mean, it is really amazing, guys, how sick this guy is in this situation, that his narcissism would just be at the, you know, just leading every conversation. But having said that, I am hoping that this month will be a better month rather than a worse month. But it's scary out there. I go through moments, I'll be honest with you guys, I get emotional about this and I don't know why. I don't know if you guys go through this where everything seems fine. You know, you seem like you're you're coping and everything. And then just one day, it's just it's just frazzled, you know. The emotions are just mixed up and you don't know why. You know, there's no one real reason. Everything seems a little magnified, you know. And uh, like when I see, here's here's when it happens for me. Whenever I see the projections go up after they've tried to tamp them down, like now thinking that we're getting up to that 150,000 number is in our windshield right now. You know, those projections that it might be as low as 60, that is in the rear view and has been in the rear view for a while. That stuff is scary, man. And it makes you think, how high is this really going to go? And I don't think anybody has been not affected by it. I'm sure almost everyone in this country has been affected by it in some way in terms of the disease. We're all affected by it, of course, in terms of the lockdown. You know, and because this has taken up all the news, other news, which normally would be in the front of people's brains and would get a lot of attention, kind of falls in a, under the cracks. One of those stories this week was the story of a young man in Georgia who was jogging. I might say his name wrong. Ahmed Arbery, I think. Not sure how old he was. Um, and this video, it's online. It's on Twitter or Facebook, or you can look it up. Black man running, hunted down, basically, by some white races, shot to death. And guys, read up on this, okay? I can only give you a little bit because it just disgusts me so much. This is the We covered some of this stuff on the nightly show, and it was some of the toughest shows that we had to do. Um, because it, <laughs> nightly show was supposed to be a comedy show, for Christ's sakes. But there seemed to always be this type of thing, and we were dedicated to covering it in some kind of way, fully aware that we were doing a comedy show. Even this podcast, I'm fully aware I'm doing something that's meant to be an entertainment platform here. And I feel like compelled to talk about this shit. And I remember making a kind of a dark joke about it back then. I, you know, people were accusing me of being racist because I talk about these things a lot. And I said, look, I'll start talking about race when people stop being racist. I mean, and this is one of those cases where you racism is the only answer to this. It really is. No matter what anybody says, I mean, every single word that they say is, is racist in this case. That the guy, they thought he was suspicious. They thought he was a burglar. It was all these old tropes, you know. And supposedly he was, uh, they, they thought he'd broken into a house. Supposedly some house was under construction. And I don't even know if this is true. He may or may not have have run through there when he was jogging or whatever. But, you know, who doesn't check out 
an open house that's kind of under construction sometimes. It's no big deal. You certainly don't deserve to die because of that. But guys, when you watch this video, the lack of humanity towards this individual, it's both, for me, it's head-shaking because it reaffirms some of the shit we've been talking about, and it's shocking at the same time, the fact that this kind of shit still goes on. It's just a shame. And thank God, I think two of the people involved were finally... um, Arrested. I'm trying to find the right words. Um, but but the system, this happened back in February, okay? The system that doesn't arrest these people until a video comes out and people are outraged enough. It has to be it has to trend on Twitter in order to get some fucking justice. Are you fucking kidding me? Seriously? It has to be a hashtag before people will do the right thing. What kind of world do we live in, you guys? Seriously. Uh, you know, uh, it really just makes me sick. I pray for the parents, man. I hope I hope they get some justice in this. This one is just not good at all. But, you know, and I'm sure it's because of everything that's going on, a story like this, which should have gotten attention a long time ago, thank God is getting some attention now, and hopefully some justice will be served. So anyhow, I don't have much to say um, besides that. I just want, um, you know, I want us to get through this, man. I I hope we get through it and we're better than we were before we went in it. I mean, that would be nice. I don't think we can do it with the person in the White House right now. And I hate to turn that into something political, but um, just looking at all the, the way he communicates, it's so fucking destructive and divisive. It really is bad. It's gone beyond parody and jokes and all that stuff right now. It just really needs to stop. We need to have this election tomorrow and just get this horrible person out of here. Seriously, you guys. That's all I got to say on that. <sighs> all right. Well, Uzo Oduba is on the show. Hey, I said the name right. Yay for me. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. All right, welcome back, guys. Uh, it's such a pleasure for me to have this uh, guest on. You know her as Crazy Eyes from Orange is the New Black. She's the Emmy Award-winning actress now playing Shirley Chisholm in Miss America, which is fantastic. You guys have to check it out. It's on Hulu. Uzo Aduba. Welcome to Black on the Air, Uzo. Thank you, Larry. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much Thank in these times to be here. I really appreciate it. Well, you know, to virtually be here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We were just talking a little bit. You said you're you're in Brooklyn right now, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm over in Brooklyn, hunkered down and staying safe and taking it all in. You know, we were just sure. talking about it and just sort of absorbing this new, you know, it almost sounds a little cliche now, that term, the new normal, but yeah, it, it is a new normal from just, you know, the sounds out the window that you hear to, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I was just saying, uh, the ambulances, Max, mm. and and then the other thing I was going to say, it's like also the sound of endless birds chirping because there's yeah. no one, you know, like I know, oh, especially birds. in New York, you're like, oh hi, yeah. birds, oh that's right, yeah, you're here, yeah. I forgot, yeah, you joined us. It feels like I grew up in a small town outside of Boston, and it sounds yeah. like in the more like late at night, um, and in the morning, almost like a small town. 
Yeah. You know, just all you hear incessantly are these birds. And I, I saw a jet high in the air yesterday. And go, I haven't seen that many planes like normally. I just realized that, mm. you know, I haven't, I haven't had that same awareness that I usually do, you know. Yeah. Um, I was watching like birds the other day going, wow, look at this. I'm just watching these birds. <laughs> What's going on? Uh, and it's tough in New York because you're at the epicenter of it all as far as this country is concerned. You know, has that mm-hmm. had an effect on you at all? Or like just, uh, or has it just reinforced how real all of this is for you? Yeah, I think, I mean, it definitely had reinforced mm-hmm. the the severity of what's happening. Um, you know, I have friends and family who live in other parts of the country right. who life for the most part in their everyday outside of having to stay home seems pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for myself, something that feels new or certainly brings home the gravity of the situation is the, you know, with the birds, I also hear the ambulances, you know, I don't live too far from a hospital Mm -hmm. and I, and I, I really don't know. I don't know if it's because there's no other traffic, you know, in New York city, there's always a cacophony of sound happening. Yeah. Um, It's all kind of mashed together. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if, ambulances were always ringing that loudly or (laughs) now (laughs) because nothing else, you know, we've like quieted all the rest of the tracks that we now hear it, but you definitely, definitely hear a pretty steady drum. Mm -hmm. It's lessening, thankfully. Um, but you, there was a time you were hearing a pretty steady drum of ambulances or if you're, you know, I was out walking my dog once and past the hospital and you definitely saw, you know, the, refrigerator truck and yeah i don't have yeah that's the things on the images that i'm watching on the news Mm -hmm. are in my backyard and um early days out of the hospitals those have thankfully reduced but things like that have you had a chance to make any interactions when you've been out like to get reactions from maybe some of your friends in your area or just people about or have you just even when you're out just it's just been kind of an isolation type of thing. It's still very isolation. You know, uh-huh. um, I actually take the CDC guidelines uh-huh. pretty seriously because I help to give, you know, I come to my mom and drop off stuff and she's, uh-huh. you know, older. So I just really uh-huh. am very sensitive right. to anything. You know, I would, God forbid, hate to do anything to like, uh, uh the work. her yeah. health. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I'm, 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 pretty 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 serious about social distancing and yeah. uh you know wearing the mask before it was even mandated you know yeah. <laughs> i was, I was oh, first time it. i went to grocery store i had gloves on the oh, mask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. all of it all of it yeah. like all of it i and i and i'm not even that person that's the other thing it's like it's yeah. so i'm not i don't think my never thought myself like a germaphobe or any of that language but you know the truth is it's mm-hmm. like we should all be protecting our own, you know, health in various ways. And, you know, so yeah, so that's been a thing. I, I will nod from afar and, you know, somebody does spot me and they're like, Hey, Hey, aren't you? And I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just say hello. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. <laughs> keep going, you know, uh, that's great. Um, yeah. yeah, now um, is not the time for fans. Please exactly. keep going. Yeah. No Where were you when I was starting <laughs> out, right? Yeah. 
yeah it yeah. was so it was so surreal when it first uh happened in broadway clothes like i've never experienced something like that you know it's like what wait broadway is just dark i mean just I completely dark i wanted to see david allen greer show uh soldier story which oh, soldier they, story mm-hmm. I just didn't get a chance to see it. And now I'm like, I don't think I'll ever get a chance to see that. You know, nothing. I know. Except, you know, the, the biggest problem one might have today, but it's just an indicator of how, how you know what it is? The world changed so fast and so mm-hmm. indelibly. So many people didn't have a chance to react. And mm-hmm. even when you see, um, I have some friends who have small businesses like restaurants and stuff, they were caught off guard. You know, no one was really prepared for this. You know, that's right. And I think also absolutely with you when it comes to the Broadway, it's like quite literally the express, excuse me, our expression in our business is the show must go on. And so it's so shocking when Mm. the show stops and comes to a halting stop. And I think, you know, a lot of times I think, especially when I think about New York, whether it's, you know, uh, when the great tragedy happened, you know, like I think about, Broadway having been such a haven mm-hmm. for the city and a place After where 9/11. people, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah and mm-hmm. where people, you know, went to for some relief. Yeah, and um, that's been so sad. And I have so many friends who either were in shows on Broadway, off Broadway, or were in shows that were about to open and just you know gone, just like that for now. But I have been excited to see. Broadway's now finding a way to find a life on, you know, social media and within streaming world, which is pretty cool. Um, I saw a really cool performance of uh, Christine Baranski and Meryl Streep and Audra McDonald for Stephen Stephen Sondheim. The Sondheim thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that was great. And the whole world got to enjoy it, you know, and the Gala did a Met Opera, did a Gala event, you know. So people are finding new ways because, like, we need it. I think people need it yeah and it's funny because music just is one of the more healing things you know when somebody's just singing you know or there's just some good music (laughs) or some of those classic broadway tunes there's just something healing about it with that you don't have to do much at all it's just you know the power of just pure entertaining can make it can just make people just forget about things in such a powerful way you know Totally. Well, D nice. We see him spinning right now. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, unbelievable. For those of you, D nice is the DJ, and uh, he went on Instagram Live. I guess it was right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just started a a dance party this, that uh, Instagram day, and everybody's. I think Bernie Sanders was there, yes. like the first night or something. It was amazing. Yes. But once again, the power of music to bring people together without any other commentary, mm-hmm. just. You just want to hear hear the hear the songs and all that stuff is really really awesome. You know? Yes. One of the other things too is you know you mentioned streaming. Um, let's talk about your show because it's great to man. Oh, you yeah. now's the time that people can catch up on things. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean streaming. What a time for, to be you know on Netflix or Hulu or some of these other platforms. And uh, and I caught your show a couple of weeks ago. A friend of mine. Oh, but I have I'm a little salty about it, but salty. Yeah. It's my own fault that I'm salty. <laughs> it's not the fault your show. It's my own fault. So I was offered the role to play Shirley Chisholm's husband. You were? Uh, yes. I was offered this role, but 
But it was, I couldn't do it because it was it was too long in Toronto and I was working in L.A. at the time. Gosh. And I was like, ah! I was like, this, ah! <laughs> but I and I saw the cast and I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me. Why am I being teased like this? Dude? <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. That would have been so awesome. It would have been so I, I'm sure you probably didn't even know about it, you know. <laughs> no, I uh, didn't know. I'm hearing it for the first time. I'm saucy uh, now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, first of all, the chance to work with you would have been amazing. And and now that I see it, I'm like, yeah, I was really, I was like, That's damn. <laughs> yeah. And it was so, you're so, by the way, let me just say, guys, please watch Mrs. America. It encapsulates a period in time, especially for women and the women's movement, that's kind of been lost in some ways. The story's been told in in peripheral ways, but not quite with, in this way with these cast of characters. And the cast is ridiculous. Mm. Um, so just tell us generally uh, about the show. Mm. I would say Mrs. America is the story. I think I would say it's the origin story of the culture wars, the gender, particularly gender culture wars that we experience today. Um, and in a more simple way, I think it's the inner workings of the women who made up the second wave feminist movement mm-hmm. and would you regard the the first wave like the suffragette movement or yes exactly okay, uh, post suffragette movement and okay. um it's it's positioned through the lens of um an anti-era named phyllis schlafly mm-hmm. um who was up against the pro eras which is the women's caucus uh, at that time made up of you know both steinem shirley chisholm Bella Abzug, Betty Friedan, and a host of other characters, and mm-hmm. um, the the fight to uh, see ratified or stop that uh, amendment. What's kind of interesting, just from the outset, is that the push against the equal rights amendment for women came from a woman, you know, and to tell this story. And what's kind of interesting is taking kind of the point of view of that woman too is also a, is also kind of interesting because you wouldn't think that this type of thing would do that, but it kind of unsettles you in a way that I think really mm-hmm. works. Oh, I think so. I think so. Um, you know, I think it, I, I, I watched the entire piece and I think, well, first of all, I think Kate Blanchett, who is oh, an amazing actor, amazing. One of, yeah. has been one of my favorite actors, remains one of my favorite actors from this experience. But taking the question um, of what one will do for power mm. in hand, That's and good. you're seeing a woman who is essentially championing championing a lifestyle she does not herself lead. You know, yeah. <laughs> she does, she's she's an advocate for women staying at home while she simultaneously leaves the house. You know, it's yeah. like a very interesting yes. idea. But the, the doing using it as a vehicle towards a more powerful position that she's aiming towards, which is the Reagan administration. And you get to see all sort of mm-hmm. challenges and hurdles and obstacles ensue, you know, for all of the characters and or real life women that she mm-hmm. encounters throughout. Um, and then I think even, so that's that side of it, but then also more largely within the second wave feminist feminism movement, that same question can be posed to those women of what each of them would do for power and what they're willing mm. to trade, even at the cost of 
their fellow woman. And each um, had, that's so well said. Each has you know, such a different approach to that and a different, a different issue that they have to deal with, right? Yes, absolutely. Whether it's, you know, if you want power, you want to place yourself in a more powerful position for re-election, whether you want to keep yourself in a, a powerful position to advance uh, women's reproductive rights issues, mm-hmm. whether whether you want to become the first of something, that it, the question is begged of each and every single one of those women and humans at, at large, you know, and what one will trade for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think small concessions and compromises, you start to really see people make them all the time. Yeah. You know, you'll trade on certain things, not realizing what that trade yes. keeps you from in the end, takes from you, you know, and, and would we have been better better to have remained stronger together? So, And what's um, interesting as, as a guy watching it, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I know some of that, Eric, because I'm actually doing um, this thing about the 14th Amendment and we covered the ERA oh, a lot in it. So a lot of this is kind of like in my head right now, you know. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about this is especially from a man's point of view, are all the constant transactions that women continually have to make on almost every single level is, I mean, I mean, women are saying, duh, Larry, right now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but I think you guys do a, re- a really good job of dramatizing that. Thank you. You know, I think that, I think that starts first from our mm-hmm. show creator, Davi Waller, who wrote on, mm-hmm. who created the whole series. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she was really, again, like, I think she was really interested in examining these culture wars. We see a lot of the things that women Mm -hmm. today um, are faced with and have to navigate. And then when you watch this piece, I think you realize, oh, this is actually pretty quite consistent with the story of women. Mm -hmm. And as women have um, changed seats at the table the more they've had to find a way to sort of insert themselves into an already existing power structure or gender dynamic. Um, And um, I I, I just think, um, and what better way than to have that highlighted than by showcasing the stories of women in these very new positions of power, which are government, holding government office for a lot mm-hmm. of them or caucusing or what have you, oh, you know or strictly of influence or strictly of influence exactly mm-hmm. those are no those are very very new concepts mm-hmm. for a lot of people women included to yeah. absorb at that time you know um and what women had to do you know i think even mm-hmm. to this past week's episode of um Jill Ruckel's house kept played by uh, Elizabeth Elizabeth Banks's character Mm -hmm. And uh, her husband potentially being nominated as Mm. uh, vice president and the the tailoring, the pulling back she has to do in her already established role, by the way, you know, within political, political power in order to support whatever idea, you know, they think of the vice president's wife should look like or what she would even have to do to sort of be able to influence the passage of policy or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, I thought that was such an interesting storyline. And then to watch in the end, her husband not be, uh, uh, spoiler alert. A, oh, 
I mean, not ruin it. So, <laughs> no, <laughs> to watch the I, end of I, that story. I, I think we know <laughs> it was for dull at the time. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, is this forever? Yeah. Or did we yeah. study it in some No, it was 45 years ago. Like, 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 you know, like. You right. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Nixon was elected in 72. <laughs> I wonder if McGovern's going to win. I wonder if going to happen. Bring the popcorn. Yeah, I maybe it's wait. like when I watch old Laker games. I go, maybe this time they're going to win, you know. <laughs> or, or that's thing, you know, it's like nope, too. history. Yeah. history hey, oh, that's right, you're from the Boston area. Mm. Uh, I think we hit. Well, if you don't count the '60s, we have the edge. Let's put it like yes, that. you did. In the, in the end, you have more, 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 more championships yeah. than we did. Um, how much did you personally? Were you familiar with this uh, period of time or some of these issues? Was this kind of an education for you, or was it a a reevaluation for you? Um. A little bit of, uh, I guess, a, a bit more leaning into the, well, I'd say a little bit of both, actually. Mm-hmm. It's like, I knew um, I knew of the women's movement of mm-hmm. that time in the 70s, but I didn't know, I certainly did not know all the players involved. Mm-hmm. So that was an education. I didn't know they were connected in the way that you guys have dramatized. I had no idea that uh, Bella Abza, Gloria Steinem, you know, Shirley Chisholm were all kind of this group. Exactly. 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 I didn't know exactly how woven together Mm -hmm. they were or the word to one another and how each really was tied, you know, it was a group of women who were uh, leading this movement. Um, I knew who Shirley Chisholm was a bit from my childhood, mostly because, and really not anything that she stood for, just I could knew that face, I knew that person was. Um, mostly because my mom was a huge fan of hers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, was like my fighting Shirley Chisholm. She loved her so much, <laughs> my mom. And so I knew, like, I like Shirley Chisholm. My mom liked Shirley I don't know what Shirley Chisholm stands for. And I didn't learn who she was, uh, about who she was, until I just remember sometime after college, I moved to New York, and I was reading um, this book called um, An African-American Century. Mm-hmm. And it was focused on from like 1900 to 1999, um, monumental African-American figures from either from that century. And um, they had a like chapter dedicated to each person. And she was one of the chapters. And that mm-hmm. was when I learned of who she really was um, and what a force she was in politics and, you know, the the pathway, you know, what a trailblazer she was. Um, and that was kind of when I really um, fell in love. But as far as policy, and I didn't learn about that. I didn't start to learn about that until one, um, I moved to Brooklyn because I happened to move to her district. And then two, really digging into the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, a lot of the policies that she represented at that plat that were her, you know, spirited platforms at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really remarkable and a wonderful education to see that things she was speaking on in the early 70s sounded a lot like the platforms we were hearing in the last, I would say, you know, anywhere between like six and twelve years. Do you have an example of that? Sure. You know, mm-hmm. she 
spoke on LGBTQ equality. She mm-hmm. spoke on the decriminalization of drugs like marijuana, the over the over arrest and incarceration of African Americans. She mm-hmm. um, early edu- head start was yeah, um, I remember something that, yeah. you know of hers um, in line with also. She was started early conversations about making um, uh, advanced education uh, more affordable. Mm-hmm. Healthcare. These were conversations that she was saying having in the 1970s that were like pretty huge pillars in her campaign platform. Right. Um, which I think you know we've been having the conversation as recent as this you know last primary of about. Um, leveling off the cost of higher education mm-hmm. or healthcare frauds, you know, all these things that we're talking about and, you know, into the nineties and uh, the two thousands of, you know, healthcare being a right, not uh, a privilege. Mm-hmm. These are things that were very much aligned with her political beliefs. And to know that that was almost 50 years ago, this woman. Was yeah. What's interesting too, uh, just looking back politically at that era, and you guys show a little bit of that too, is how much more cooperative government was on both sides. You know, we're, you know, I think Jill was a Republican, I believe. Um, Mm -hmm. But you guys, like even the show, it doesn't express parties so much as it does ideas. And even a lot of people don't know, like the Nixon administration passed a lot of what would be considered liberal, you know, things back then, everything from the I think the FDA uh, affirmative action, mm-hmm, I believe, mm-hmm. affirmative action. Um, opening up China, which was seen as who's this communist Nixon, but the ERA was not split amongst parties. You know, there was a lot of support in both Republican and Democrat, which I think today would be hard to um, relate. To Absolutely. Relate to. And I, mm-hmm. and I think that's why going back to this like origin story of culture wars and Dobby actually is who framed that really well. Mm-hmm. Um, is important because you really these w- this war that we're in the midst of right now, yeah. where we think it has to do with party affiliation, and either you're a leftist thinking or you're yes. you know red or blue or you're right. uh, you know all of these like Republican Democrat. When you wind the tape back to the beginning of how this divisiveness was actually created, it yeah. wasn't actually. And I love the way you just said. Um, it wasn't uh, so much that the show didn't really frame um, party as much as ideas. Yes. You know, is really, mm-hmm. really it, such a smart and beautiful way of saying it because that oh, is the you. real truth. You really, you really realize you're like, mm-hmm. oh, this was something that was crafted and made into a wedge issue amongst Absolutely. parties. But really, people, <laughs> every there were people crossing parties all the time. And look at how much we were able to get done. Yeah, and you guys dramatized. I like the way you just said uh, throw it back at you. It is kind of the origin story of the cultural war, too, as opposed to the political war. Um, There's the, uh, you could see when uh, Phyllis Schlafly is talking to the woman who had like this mailing list or something. I can't remember her name. Mm -hmm. But she represented, you know, a faction that was about to make its appearance on the political scene, especially in the 80s, the moral majority eventually would be mm-hmm, called. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but the origin story of that is that religious conservative movement that Shafley really wasn't, uh, I can't say what, what her intentions were, but that's not where she started, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. 
at least on on that conservative religious side. And those people, there were a lot of Democrats that were that that went over and became Republicans, you know, Mm -hmm. during that time as well. So that's the other messy party part of it. Yeah. So that's fascinating. When you look at it now, times are so different and seeing the beginnings of that kind of division that you talk about is really interesting, you know. Absolutely. And I think like, you know, that going back to the like Jill of it all and in Elizabeth's character, I think was so, I'm so glad that that was included um, in the storytelling one, because she was the pivotal role, but also Mm -hmm. two, I think it was really smart in highlighting that there was a time in our politics. So it seems that you can think differently about how to reach about how, mm-hmm. how uh, uh, think differently uh, as far as how to go about reaching a finish line. But when it comes to right being right, you didn't let your politics interrupt doing the, the doing of the right thing, the thing that you mm-hmm. actually believed in. You did not set aside your core belief in something right. to for party. It was, and I think we've gotten... Humanity had a chance. (laughs) (laughs) Humanity had a shot. (laughs) Yeah. It seemed like if you agreed on something, even if despite party, you worked hard to try and see that thing through. And I, I, my hope in um, people seeing this show is that people will, will one, ask themselves the question, have we gotten as far as we think we have? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think this show has the potential to really highlight that. And then Absolutely. two, um, in, in what ways have we gone backwards? Uh, or where have we, what, maybe where have we chosen, where have we chosen in some moments the wrong road? And I think on mm-hmm. that piece detour. of bipartisan, yeah, um, yeah, a detour. And, and when it comes to bipartisanship, um, hopefully we find the way to sort of mine yeah. our way back to something that uh, is more cooperative rather than. And you guys also touched on some intersectionality, which is totally also, also fantastic. The first, <laughs> well, the first notion of it is in race, you know, because uh, Chisholm was interesting about Chisholm in that time was she really didn't have the support of the black vote, you know, and even people that knew her, like Dellums, you know, you have in your show, uh, Representative mm-hmm. Dellums. So I think that was the beginning of the Congressional Black Caucus, I believe, mm-hmm, during mm-hmm, that time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. And it was like, and there's a quote from Shirley Chisholm at the time where she says, she she found more discrimination as a woman than, than she did being black. Mm. You know, because I think there I was some, no, some notions that, uh, you know, this was going to, bring more attention to women than it would to, to the concerns of blacks. And mm. it seemed like they had an issue. Did you, uh, what, what was, uh, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing that your show, uh, mm-hmm. kind of dramatized in Chisholm's story, you know? Absolutely. I think, um, for sure the show, I think calls up the sort of like early the beginnings of not even early days, it's the beginnings of what is now labeled as intersectionality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it also did a really good job of highlighting the blind spots um, within the women's movement to right. intersectionality and the intersectional feminists. Um, uh, 
and intersectionality at large. Um, Which is still very current, very current idea. Absolutely, 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 without question. Um, And I think you see that in the way that um, Shirley's campaign is abandoned by so many with so many people, but in particular within her great what she thought of as her greatest supporters, uh, Mm -hmm. caucus, but also abandoned by the Black Caucus as well. Um, And you see her being put in this place of kind of being made to choose or not being looked at as being Black enough, which I have an expression I've never understood my entire life, or, Mm -hmm. you know, being thought to be too risky or unelectable because she's a woman, you know, Um, and having to try and navigate that world when all she is to she is she is each of those things but she is both of those you know what i mean at the same Mm -hmm. time um and and sort of trying to find her way through it it's really fascinating and i think you know watching it now in today's light you know in the post women's march you know and uh a, a post uh 2008 2012 victory really you know we now are really troubled with that question you know have we gotten as far as we think we have yeah and you know as you were just saying that it made me think of uh, Hillary Clinton's you know concession speech or I think it was or actually I think it was in her 2008 concession speech when she didn't get the nomination when she said we got up to that ceiling there's a million cracks Mm -hmm, in it or whatever mm -hmm. you know and to see yeah, and the disappointments in 2016, you know, you know, this, I feel like there's that feeling. It's so funny watching that and thinking of that. And I was reading an article where, where Dobby, is that her name, the writer? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Where she was thinking of Hillary when she was writing this, apparently. Yeah, and had, and had written it before the 2016 election with, you know, like, oh, and if if that's me i'm like wow i'd be thinking like and then <laughs> right. this, you know like look how far we've later, come we got a woman how far we've come yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know like that's the opposite of what oh, gotcha man. you know like it's the gotcha gotcha of all of gotchas but um <laughs> yeah like, <laughs> like you know it's like just kidding you know um i i think that's yeah, powerful thing to have had in mind. And then when you see not only did she not win, but also when you see the returns of the voters mm-hmm. and how people voted, mm. um, it's just powerful to think about. What was the biggest challenge in portraying Shirley Chisholm? Because, you know, when you're an actor playing an actual historical, well, that doesn't sound right. Actual historical, yeah. <laughs> you know, but you know, a person, yeah, a person who's in history and someone who was actually lived on this earth versus just a character, you know, was right. it, was it a bit intimidating or that type of thing? Or? For sure. I mean, for sure. Because, um, I know for me, she held significance because I, again, I had learned of who she was, was, an admirer of who she was for, um, you know, just over a decade, uh, a deeper admirer, I should say, uh, knowing the ways that she had paved. Um, so I knew this was not some 
um, insignificant person. I knew this Mm -hmm. was a woman who, whose medal warranted being told with some real consideration and esteem. Mm. Um, And um, that is intimidating. Um, Does it inhibit, can that inhibit you as an actor sometimes? You feel like, because crazy eyes, you're like, this bitch is just going to be crazy. I'm just going <laughs> to Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can do whatever. Well, she's right, made exactly. up, too, so it's like, exactly. like, that's not what Suzanne did. Like, how do exactly. you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're the one making up the rules, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Versus like, <laughs> somebody could be like, um, um, that's not, you know. Um, yes. Yes, that can be, it can be intimidating, but and was leading up to it, but you have to kind of let that go um, and really center yourself on the, or for myself anyway, center myself on the why, the why am I telling it and what am I trying to express here? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And the why for me was, why am I telling it? Why do I want to do this? Was because she did it for me. You know what I mean? You know, she she carved away her entire, if you read a lot of her speeches, a lot of what she talks about is possibility, hmm. you know? And she, that's someone, how I interpret it, interpreted it, who is not blind to their own presence on that stage and what they represent. And that's somebody who is doing something bigger than themselves beyond themselves you know she's doing it for the people who have yet to come forget about the people standing beside her and so the why of it being like i have to do it because she she did what she did so i could do what i am currently doing so you have to set down whatever it is that's coming at you and making you feel in any kind of way and show up and do the work and then um, I really wanted to, as I was reading the scripts and I started thinking, uh, I, th- I think I got some release when I started thinking and asking myself the question of, you know, definitions. And um, I became calmer when I started to say to myself, how does she define herself mm-hmm. versus how the world has defined her. Because what's clear to me, became very clear to me in reading it was a woman of this time, at this point in her life, looking the way that she does, born of the gender that she's been born of, does not do this if she's living by the definitions the world has has prescribed to her. If you're being accurate to that, yes. Yes, exactly. Mm. So then how does she see herself? And then it became actually very freeing because I could connect to that. I know what it feels like to feel limited by someone's definition and idea of either who they think I am, how I'm going to be, what I'm capable of, what I should or should not be doing, pursuing, playing, saying, right? I know what that feels like from my mother's point of view, coming to this country, an immigrant. Uh, and what she learned as an adult, this great nation of ours thought of her and her possibility. And then mm-hmm. that became very freeing 
and the, it released a lot of the nervousness because then it became a more of a human story and I became more interested, less interested in like the precision of the exterior because that's going to find itself more interested on the inner workings of who she was in the world, what she, how she felt about things, how the world mm-hmm. came at her, right? And how she responded to the world when it came at her. That became more interesting. It's such an, it's so great to hear you uh, hear that perspective because I know all actors have different approaches. You know, when you think if you're generalizing, of course, the American version would be what you just stated. You know, that inward out, and the the, the typical British version always was the outside in. You know, to be mm-hmm. study the mannerisms and even how the person sat down. You know, or talked or that type of thing. You know, and and going outward in. It's funny because they both have their their relevance, but. You know, uh, I always find the ability to be able to be alive in a scene is the thing that you have to work towards, right? You know, to mm-hmm. you just have to be, if you're just sitting there, you still have to be alive and to be able to be in that moment as the character. You know? mm-hmm. Especially yes. a lot of a lot of the scene, maybe just listening to Bella Abzug go off for a little bit, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and see, and that's what I was interested in because there's plenty of yeah. tape of her right. giving speeches. Yes, yes. I, and if right. we want to see that version, why don't we just play that YouTube clip? Right? Exactly. So like, I want to and, see and we know that's not the person. That's not and the person. That, and we know that's not the person. I am interested right. in the woman who goes home, is quietly sitting with her husband, Conrad, has been told that who could this have been is... Me? Her husband, Larry Conrad. Yes, You know, like, that conversation that after being out there stumping, you know, galvanizing a support mm-hmm. group and then being told by disbelievers, non-believers, that w- her dream is impossible. I'm interested mm-hmm. in that conversation. Mm. That's, 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 that surely is the person I'm interested in seeing. Yeah. Because that's the woman knowing how intersectional people, people who have been made to feel limited, people of color, gender, sexual orientation, or able body or disabled body, et cetera, how we have presented in the world and then who we are. Mm -hmm. I know that story. And I was interested in seeing, like you just said, if her colleague is giving a speech that seems off base from what she knows to be true or it's her experience. I'm interested in what the camera didn't pick up and what did she do? Was that an eye roll? Was that a, I don't, no muscle move is actually a story. Mm. You know, she didn't didn't do anything is actually an opinion, you know? So it's like, I'm interested in that one. And plus, and you know, your, your character is kind of this island of black woman, you know, in the sea mm-hmm. of, of white woman activism too, you know, sure, yeah. but, but, but you don't, you don't come from a victim standpoint. You don't come, you never act like an outsider. You're, but you're keenly aware of your obstacles, you know, and I find the way that you play is so fascinating to me. It was it's so good, you know, of finding that balance of, you know, you know what it is. It's that strength that Chisholm had, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, you know, she had what I felt from the material that I was given and what I got 
from listening to her speeches was that, and I guess it goes again back to this, how she defined herself. She never saw herself as incapable of doing Mm -hmm. anything she wanted to do. And that included feeling comfortable in a room of people who did not look like her. And by Mm. the way, also not feeling intimidated by it. Exactly. Exactly. That included that. That include she did not feel less than out of place, less intelligent, incapable of offering a worthy argument. In fact, you know, when I was doing research and they said her freshman year uh, in Congress, they appointed her to, she was appointed to the Agricultural Committee. This is a congresswoman from Bed-Stuy, New York. And mm-hmm. she said, what do I know about agriculture? You know, why are you going to put me, <laughs> you're right. setting me up to fail, right? And had no <laughs> issue yeah. as the first Black woman elected to Congress, one of the youngest members also elected, mm-hmm. by the way. and. Mm-hmm. A freshman, she had she took no fear in standing up and saying, "Absolutely not! I refuse to sit on the committee. You're setting me up for failure. I insist on being appointed to the Urban Ways and Means." And was, you know what I mean? She she moved, and they and they had to hear her because she's like, I, "This is where I will be effective. What am I? How am I being effective to my constituents here?" So she never saw that herself as that she needed to to adhere to the unwritten rules of any kind that had, again, been dished out to her. And I thought, um, I just thought what a remarkable woman that she is. And I think she, you know, in in her uh, book, I think it's Unbought and Unbossed, she talks about her upbringing in um, Barbados and mm-hmm. what that exposed her to and taught her about herself and, and having gone to Columbia University, you know, mm-hmm. all of these things. Um, she just, she was just not, she was not afraid. And I, and she I was not that. playing that. Yeah. She no, was not playing not that. Not at all. No. <laughs> Homie, don't well, play that. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, it's funny because you've been playing in a sandbox of, you know, these programs with these incredible roles for women which has been fantastic. I mean, Orange is the New Black, the cast, that cast was amazing. But now this yeah. cast is so amazing. I mean, do you feel like you're spoiled? <laughs> it's like, you're like, wait, is this how Hollywood works? Or is this just how Hollywood, is this just how Hollywood is going to work from now on? Or am I working? This is how it's going to work from now on, yo. Yeah. This is the sandbox that I will only play in. You know? Listen, and I'm okay with it. I'll build castles in the sky. Yeah. I, I am like happy, happy, happy. I, I And all honesty, Larry, like, and I've, I told the story fairly recently. Mm-hmm. When I was doing Finishing Orange, I was, when I say positive, I mean certain. (laughs) I know know exactly where you're going on this, yeah. (laughs) That I was never going to have this experience again. Well, it was a nice time, you guys. Exactly. Yes, we did did something there. Like, really seriously thought that and was like, you're never going to have this experience again. You're never going to work with this many women again. You're never going to work on something. You're never going to work with this many women on something that's interesting that um, also is like 
a satisfying role and poignant and has something to say like that. You may get to work with like a bunch of women, but we're going to be like talking about like dresses or something. You know what I mean? And like, <laughs> that's gonna, that might be the thing, you know, and everybody might yeah. be talented, but we're still talking about dresses, you know? Um, I was sure that was never going to happen again. And then it was like, we started orange in July of that year. Last year, I think it was July. And then like flash forward like four months later, <laughs> three months later, Mrs. America came along and I was wow. like, oh, you're gonna get to do that again. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. that worked out. You know, like, that's cool. <laughs> Never mind. You know? Never mind, <laughs> yeah. everybody. <laughs> yeah. I'll I'll stop, you know, but I'm very grateful for it. I'm very grateful for it. I'm yeah. I'm keenly aware that has been like is a unique experience. I am hopeful it continues to happen again and again and again. And while I get to do Americana as another great group of women in that project, which I'm excited for, but I hope that's the new, I hope along with this new normal, that is also the new normal, you know, like, yeah. well, I don't hope this new normal stays, but I, you get what I mean. Absolutely. <laughs> We're in a lot of new normals. Well, we, we certainly can't get enough of watching you on screen. Um, your roles are just so interesting. The characters that you play. Thanks so much for, for uh, coming on Black on the Air and sharing your experience. It's so fascinating working on a project like that. It's so cool to hear the insides of it. Cool. Thank you very much. And thanks for having me too. I'm a great fan of yours. Oh, uh, well, right, right back at you. Thank you so <laughs> much. And we're all thinking about you and everywhere else. And, and I uh, really appreciate you um, just being in. Thank you so much. Yay, Zodoo, everybody. Back <laughs> there. Okay, we'll see you soon. Bye now.